My um, message today is Independence Day, and uh, I know it's not the 4th of July, but um, this week, or, oh well, as we celebrated the 4th of July, there was this scripture that kind of um, um, jumped out of the page at me, and it was, but alive, uh, he brings God down to us. No, that's not it. What, there's, there's a scripture, it's in, oh, you have been set free from sin. There it is. You have been set free from sin, and that is in um, Romans. And as we look at this uh, scripture text, we find out that God has given us a very special privilege. Now, I, I've tried to look at the Declaration of Independence. I've I never read the whole thing, I think, in my entire life, but I read it this, this preparing for the message. And um, I'm not saying that the composers of the Declaration read Romans chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 6, they didn't write Romans chapter, they didn't follow Romans chapter 6 as an outline for the Declaration of Independence. I'm not saying that. But what I did kind of correlate is how Romans chapter 6 kind of fits in with the Declaration of Independence. And whenever we look at, you know, always the scripture is taking us from what we know to something we don't know something we understand to something that perhaps is a new understanding for us. Now, in our Constitution, we realize that there is this separation from England, not a separation of church and state. We're not going to talk about that. But the Declaration is a uh, Declaration of Independence that stated that we as a colony, or 13 United States, were separating from uh, Great Britain. Now, when you put this in perspective, Great Britain was one of the major forces in the world at the time. Uh, they were not, <laughs> not willing to let this uh, fledgling group of colonies put themselves together and decide that they were going to suddenly be independent. And Great Britain hired mercenaries, hired uh, Indians, the Indians of the time, uh, certain tribes were, and they would hire them to fight the colonies and to make war against them. But over a period of seven years, <laughs> didn't realize that, over a period of seven years, the colonies were fighting for their independence. Now, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were, some of their names are very familiar with us, and some of their names we've never heard before. But all of these individuals who signed this declaration, if the, if the intent of the declaration to make this group of colonies free, if it failed, they were dead. <laughs> they were dead men. They were not going to live, the, they were not going to survive the, um, the wrath of England. They were going to be destroyed or hurt or, you know, probably hung for treason against, uh, against the, uh, the British Empire. So, the people who put their name on the line are listed under the Declaration of Independence from the states that they, rep that, they, that they were from. So they put together this, what we call um, the Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America, known to us as Independence Day, July 4th, 1776. Now this, as I said, this uh, declaration brought about, took about seven years to finally come to a conclusion. And of course, if you were an, an individual that were 
uh, a betting man, you would bet on uh, England and not on, you know, not on these 13 fledgling colonies because they were unable to get along. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, so they were pioneers. They were individualists. And um, to try and find them, to find them in a way that they can um, put their differences aside, you know, they, they had to come together for one common good. And sometimes in our society, we forget about the common good, and we want to make sure that our, um, our ways and our thoughts are the, the predominant ones, and I won't talk about the political climate in the United States. So, <laughs> but I will talk about the Declaration of Independence. Now, and I will talk about Romans chapter 6. Paul discusses the freedom from being a slave. Paul discusses what it means to be saved um, from the power of sin, from the law of domination, and to become, to become a Christian and to become like Christ, and that God, um, can't read my writing, I can't read any, I'll even look up close. But, uh, <laughs> so God is going to, so in, in Romans chapter 6, we have this type of outline that is put together. So, as we begin Romans chapter 6, verse, three, verse 1, it says, so what do we do? Now, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's trying to get them to understand, um, you know, the, the church at Rome has not had a, a, a visit from any of the, the apostles, the disciples, has not had a visit from Paul. So the people who are in Rome are, general, are, are considered to be people who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And they received the power of the Holy Spirit, or they were there and witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit and became believers in Jesus Christ. So after they had experienced this, they went back home. So these are the believers that were at Pentecost and had gone back to Rome. So there's really no one that has given them any specific directions about what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They have no clue. All they know is they believe in Jesus Christ. They saw what happened on the day of Pentecost. They believe that he has risen from the dead. And so they go back home and they're telling everybody about this Jesus. And there is this fledgling church that's kind of started in Rome. And Paul is writing a letter to them about what really happens when we become a follower of Jesus Christ. So, um, there, was this, there was these different philosophies that were going around, especially in, in some of the higher society places, that um, uh, one, one, one thing was that if you, the, the idea that the flesh is nothing and spirit is everything. So if the flesh is nothing, it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh, just as long as you believe in Jesus. So they were still continuing in their, their old lifestyle of going to the, the prostitutes and the temples and the worshiping and all that other stuff and said, well, it doesn't matter what we do because the flesh doesn't go to heaven, only your spirit does. So we, we got one part of us is going to heaven, the other part's going to die, and what does it matter? Well, Paul here in chapter 6 says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning <laughs> so God can keep forgiving. So if God delights in forgiveness, let's make God happy. <laughs> you know, we're going to go do all this sinful stuff and God will forgive us and he gets happy over that. And so there's no, there's no problem, right? Well, not true. He says, 
I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we live in our old houses? Then we go kind of the Constitution. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the band. Hmm. So he's talking about, can we live in one house and be a Christian and go back to that same house if we live in a different land? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? We're going to dissolve the, bond, the bands that connect us with another country. Hmm. So, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that, you know, I've got the inside corner on this, you know, but it was just whenever I was, um, I saw this, we have been set free from sin. And I thought of the Constitution and, you know, Independence Day and the Declaration of Independence. And I thought, I wonder how those two will go together. And so this is how it came together. That when you start looking at these little phrases and things, did the writers of the Constitution use Romans chapter 6 as an outline? Well, I don't know. But I do know that there is a parallel for us to look at the Constitution and see how we were liberated from England and how that we as believers are liberated from sin. <laughs> and the dominance of sin is something we can dissolve ourselves of in our relationship with Jesus Christ he gives us the power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Thank you. So, we move on. That is what happened in baptism. Now, Paul talks about baptism. We've dissolved our relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, with the world. We've been saved. Now, that is what happened in baptism. So, whenever we accept Christ as our Savior, uh, the next step is to be baptized. And, and Paul writes about that. Uh, when we went under the water, so he's talking about baptism by immersion. He says, this is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and when we came up out of the water, we had entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. So, <laughs> the Constitution says, the powers of earth that separate an equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature uh, and nature's God entitle them. So I have, by separation, found a place in a new land that has been entitled to us by God, that we are not allowed, we are not able to, we do not want to be connected to what was in the past. So we are dead <laughs> to what happened, our past. And you know, it's just kind of a little side note there. They came across the ocean. <laughs> Waters, baptism. I don't know. I'm, you know, there's just some little things there we can think about. So, so as Christians then, we have, and I'm going to focus more on we as Christians, how that we have been separated from that old land, that old life, this old nature. See? Our old nature is a nature of sin, but the nature of Christ is the nature of forgiveness and of love, of, of a sound mind, of, of the understanding of laws and principles and you know, loving and forgiving and seeking good. And you know, it's a new land that we live in. It's a new place that we live in. And this relationship with Jesus Christ is so very important. Now, to tie into those things, every deed is a seed. 
Do you see? And now we think, well, what about? Well, what was the seed that was planted by these individuals that stated to us that they are making a declaration of independence from England? The seed that they planted in this country is still growing. The deed that they did at that time, and it took seven years for it to to come into fruition, is still growing in this nation. So every deed is a seed, and so the deeds that we have done in our life are seeds not only in our life, but in the lives of our children, our grandchildren. You know, um, you, you think about the good that has come because of your faithfulness and the faithfulness of those before you. I mean, my mom and dad were faithful church tenders. My grandma was a faithful church tender. Now, they weren't pastors. Well, my mom, grandmother was a, a, a preacher, but at times, you know, she was more like an evangelist that would go and speak every once in a while. But those things, so it's like people who are third and fourth generation clergy, their, their children, you know, like our, my son and his ministry is so far advanced and so far beyond anything that I ever dreamed for my own life. But what we've been faithful in doing here has also been growing in his life and in, in this community. So we're planting seeds not only here, but in the lives of our children. And that God is the one who is going to bring the increase. Hmm. See, God is the one, you know, some water, some, you know, some plant, some water, but God is the one who gives the increase. And we're trying to sometimes think that um, the increase is for us. But God's increase is greater than just for our lives. God's increase is for our children, our grandchildren, for the people that we love. So what we are doing is planting seed that we will reap the benefit of, but so will our children and their children. So we'll go on. Verse 3, 3, 4, and 5. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus Christ means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised unto a light-filled world by our Father, so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. The desire of God is for us to see where we're going in a grace-sovereign country. Now, Grace, the meaning of grace, is unmerited favor. That you cannot earn the favor of God. We cannot earn the blessing of God. We cannot make the seed grow. We have received the divine favor, the divine grace of God upon our life so that where we are going is going to be grace, favor, filled. <laughs> that it is going to be filled into our lives just because what we've done. That we are, we are um, raised into a light-filled world. We are, no, the, the world around us is in darkness. No. The world around us is waiting for the light-filled world that we live in to shine its beacon out to them. Because they are in the darkness doesn't mean we have to be in the dark. You know, we're the light. So when darkness comes in, we just turn the light on. You know, how simple is that? Do you know, 
uh, the illustration of the lighthouse. A lighthouse is planted on the shore and often is a beacon to let ships know where the shore is. Sometimes we need to see that in our lives with our children and with other people. A lighthouse doesn't go out and chase the ships around the ocean. The lighthouse stays planted and sends out the same signal. <laughs> in the light that we are in Christ, we are sending out the same signal. There is mercy, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is a light-filled world in Jesus. <laughs> and he, is, doesn't, he hasn't come to condemn us, he has come to save us. He's come to restore to us. He's come to give to us of his mercy and of his grace and his power, of his blessing. And he's come to empower us. He's come to teach us. He's come to expand our learning and our ability to see and to understand. So here we are. Do you know what the difference between an exceptional person and an ordinary person is? An exceptional person is almost always just an ordinary person who is focused. An exceptional person is almost always an ordinary person who is focused. The Bible says that we are not to be a double-minded person, constantly going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, it's good, no, it's bad. It's a bad day, no, it's a good day. You know, no, it's a good day. <laughs> that we are focused. We are focused on the blessing of God coming into our lives and to be given to us so that we can give it to other people. It isn't about me becoming a consumer of God's blessing. It is about me being a receiver of God's blessing and giving it to other people. We are focused on one thing. Jesus loves you and that God loves you as much as he loved his son. And we are different because Jesus has been risen from the dead and this light-filled world is in us. So, so we are in a, 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 a new grace sovereign country. The Constitution, I skipped a few lines, and it declares the cause which impelled them to separate. That we are making this Constitution that declares uh, that there is a cause, and the cause is impelling us that we must separate from England. Here we are as Christians, the cause is impelling us that we must separate ourselves from sin. <laughs> we must separate ourselves from sin. Now that doesn't mean we lock ourselves in a room and, you know, don't, don't, I'm not going to be witness to sin. I remember one time a lady called me, she says, Pastor, I want to be your secretary. I says, okay, that'll be fine. And I, I said, well, what, what is the reason? She says, well, I don't want to work where there's sinners. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe you don't want to come to my church. I don't think so. You know, we have people who sin in my church. I don't know, but I don't know if you're going to find that perfect church. But I said, well, I'm sorry, but you can't, can't be my, my secretary. I don't even know who she was. She just called me up. <laughs> she goes to some church somewhere. It was just years ago. But she didn't want to work where there were sinners. Okay. <laughs> Still don't have a job. <laughs> You know, Jesus, he didn't want to come where people were sinners, you know. You know, what kind of a country was that? So, but the Constitution declares the cause which impelled them to separate. All right? Now, verse 6. 
Could it be any clearer? <laughs> um, our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decision, a decisive, I can't read. <laughs> a decisive end to that sin-miserable life no longer at sin's every beck and call. So we have this declared cause and that later, um, <laughs> later in the Constitution, it declares why we separated from, from England, that if you read the, the whereases, but they don't have them as whereases, but that the, the government was un, 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 um, unjust, you, they wouldn't allow us to pass laws so that we could govern our own cities and counties here in the United States. You had, they, all those laws had to be disbanded, and everything had to be in a court in England, and if you were in a crime that the, the Crown thought was... Um, worthy of judgment, they put you in a boat and took you over to England and executed you over there because, you know, you had no rights. There were no laws here. So what we find is that the devil, the devil tries to get us to misinterpret God's law. The devil is the accuser, not Christ. The accuser, you've done this wrong, you've done that wrong, that's not grace. Now, our relationship with Jesus Christ and his holiness will remind us that there are things in our life that need to be changed, okay? It isn't that everything we do is correct and we're on our way to heaven and we can do every sin in the book. No. It means that God's grace is governing our lives and by our desire to love God, we will keep and do his will and his purpose, and we will fight off, <laughs> ward off that which is evil. And you see, we do that by our relationship with Christ. So, onward. Get my glasses in place. I'm not going to say it's going to help, but... Uh... So, we hold these truths to be self-evident. What we believe and this is what Paul says. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We hold these truths to be self-evident. If I have been buried with Christ, I'm alive with Christ. That is a very self-evident revelation. <laughs> kind of goes, huh? All men, these truths are self-evident, all men are created equal. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a, sign, a signal of the end of death as the end, as the end. Never again will death have the last word. That all men are created equal, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and in Christ we are risen to new life that are endowed, that we all men are created equal, and that we are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. And when Jesus died, he took sin down with him, and uh, but alive, he brings God down to us. We have a right to have Christ in our lives. It is an unalienable right that all men should be saved that all men should be saved. 
God has said that is not, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So we all, every person alive, every person who's ever been, every person who ever will, everyone has a right to be saved. It is an unalienable right. It is a right given by God to have eternal life. And he wants everyone to receive it. From now on, think of, think of, this, uh, from now on, think of it this way. This is in Paul's writing. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. We have an inalienable right among those that are alive. God speaks your mother tongue. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote. You must not give sin a vote the way you conduct your lives because we have a right to life. We don't allow sin to vote against our life that God has given us. You cannot allow the sin of yesterday to determine the rights of who you are today in Christ. It has no vote. Well, you remember when? It has no vote. You know, I did this. It has no vote. Sin has no vote in your life today. Only the word of God, only the power of God, only the presence of God, the, the Holy Spirit, and the word of God have a right to vote. in your fav- They are voting in your favor of who you will become. Don't give sin the time of day. Don't even run little errands <laughs> that are connected with that old way of life. We have an inalienable right that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So here we have the life. We have an inalienable right to life. We have a right to liberty. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full-time remember. You've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. We are liberated. Liberated from sin. Sin can't tell you how to live, liberty. After all, you've not given, you're not giving under, after all, you've, I'm gonna stand up, maybe I can read it. After all, you're not giving under, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God, liberty. What is true freedom? So since you're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, we can, we, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. So we are under the liberty that we are out from underneath the bondage of, of, of the, in the Constitution of being under the bondage of, of England. We're liberated, but in Christ we're set free. And, uh, and the pursuit of happiness is this last section. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroys freedom. Offer yourselves, offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. Happiness. Happiness, you see, sin presents a package that tells us that what is illegal, what is immoral, what is 
destructive to our behavior, to our relationships, and destructive to ourselves, that somehow that is freedom. And God is telling us, offer yourselves to God. The pursuit of happiness is in following the love of God for our lives and the freedom that we have in Christ. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. You have been set free from sin. That, the, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So we are, we are turning ourselves away from the governing part of sin. The Constitution, they were turning themselves away from the governing part of Britain to find a new life here in the Americas. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, now, is... Britain, sin, no. <laughs> it, was, it was destroying the colonies. They had a right, and they found a right to move away from them and declare their independence. So I'm not um, degrading Great Britain. I'm, not, I'm just looking at how that, the Constitution, what we understand as a Constitution of freedom is in, our, in the, the country that we live in, that the... the constitution of freedom that we have in Christ is far more greater than what was the declaration of independence by men. Because our declaration of independence came with Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that independence is what we find in Christ. And it is similar to what our forefathers looked for in separation from England. So here we are, <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that all men are created equal, but, God, but God's gift is real, it is eternal life, and it is delivered by Jesus, our master. <laughs> so that is the foundation of our relationship with God and of our freedom in Christ, but we see that the Declaration of Independence was the foundation for freedom for our nation. Amen? I thought that was interesting. <laughs> but as we think about that, I mean, see how that, that, you know, wow, there's a lot of parallels that go there. And so when we think of our relationship with Jesus Christ, think of ourselves as being set free from the bondages that enslave us. And we didn't, you know, we are re reaping the seeds that were sown in 1776. We're, we're reaping the seeds. We're also reaping the seeds that were sown at the cross of Calvary. <laughs> you know, 2,000, over 2,000 years ago. It's still growing in our life. And the revelation that comes to us in the Spirit is by the Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds. And we need to set the course. We need to be direct in where we are going. Because we're not in competition with one another. We only need to fulfill and run our race. And that's the perfect race that Christ has for our lives. And he will empower us and direct us in everything we do. Shall we stand?
So we celebrate our freedom. Not only on July 4th, but we celebrate our freedom every morning that we get up. We thank God that we are free from sin. We are thank God that he will direct our lives. We thank God that we are free. Those, he, whom the, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. We are free to set the course of our life. We are free from the powers of sin of the past, from the power of sin in the future. We are set free. We are liberated, and it can never, never touch us because we are surrounded and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is about our lives and he encompasses us and that God's will will be accomplished through our lives and through the seeds that we sow into the lives of others by our words that are spoken, by our deeds that are done, by the touch of our hands, by the prayers that we offer, the life will be changed and the power of the Holy Spirit will be revealed not only in our life but in the lives of others. Not only for today, but for tomorrow, until eternity comes, we are now involved in the ministry of the work of the Holy Spirit, and we are set free to accomplish that because our sins are forgiven, our past is done, and our future is in front of us, and God will guide us with his truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.